Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are good and you are true. And as we just saying, you are the light breaking through. And Lord, we pray that uh, this, this time that we have together would be focused on your goodness, your goodness, um, your truth. And uh, we recognize that you, your truth is one that, that shines light on the truth of who we are. When we present our hearts to you, Lord, we recognize that they are so broken but, we, but Lord, you welcome our offering, whatever it is. If it's a small one, any kind of shape, Lord, we give it to you, Lord. Um, you have the, the power to take one small thing and transform it into a, a, a mountain of good, a mountain of love and joy and peace for this world. And so, God, we take, take these lives and actually present them before you as a living sacrifice, um, uh, called not to die for you, but to live for you, Lord, and to, to, to step forward in faith for you. And to do that um, with your heart for the poor and the needy and those who, um, those who are crying out, Lord, um, to be saved in this world. So, Lord, um, we thank you for what you're, you have done in our lives, and we thank you for what you're about to do. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. Now, I, I have a question. Uh, first of all, is anyone here from the Costa Rica mission trip? Did anyone make it? Yay! You made it back! Good job. Can I give you a hug? Can I, can you come up here? I just want to give you a hug and welcome you back. She came, she got back at the, did you get back at 4, 2.30 in the morning from Costa Rica? That is so awesome. We're so proud of you. <laughs> that is so great. So uh, now no one's like, like, I'm never going on a mission trip because they make you do that. But no, thank you. Thank you. You made it. You're a warrior. And I'm sure your worship experience is so beautiful today because of what you've experienced. Um, I love the stories that come here each week. Every person, I ask them, how did your week go? And, and I've had stories of miracles. I've had stories of pain. I've had everything comes together. And so this series called Friendsgiving is an awesome way of framing what this whole thing is about. Friendsgiving. Uh, so a couple of years ago, I realized at Thanksgiving, we always meet with our families. How 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 beautiful would it be for the church family to come together and have a Friendsgiving meal, have a Thanksgiving meal, but to have it, you know, before Thanksgiving so we can all still do our family meals. We're going to have it on November 12th, which is, by the way, a Sunday night, Sunday afternoon, because Thanksgiving, I always believe you have to start Thanksgiving at four in the afternoon because then you can have two and three meals. You know, I mean, like you can't, you can't eat two and three meals if you start at seven. So start eating at four and we'll just go through the night and see how many times we can eat. Does that sound good? And it's a potluck. How many people like potlucks? Anybody give a shout out for potlucks? Just that, only that guy right there. Um, now, when you go to a potluck, what is your favorite, like the thing that you remember as a kid or the thing that like you look forward or you always see at a potluck? Can anybody shout out their, the thing they want to see there? What is it? Cheesy potatoes. Cheesy potatoes right there. Who else? Who else has one? Let me see. Mac and cheese, of course. You got to have that at a potluck. Anybody else? Stuffing. It's Thanksgiving, right? Yeah, of course. Potato salad. That's a good one. Pumpkin pie. Pumpkin pie. Exactly. Dessert. I heard. What dessert? Anybody? Apple pie. Those things. You know what my favorite thing is? It's the thing you'd least expect. But ever since a child, I saw this person walking in. You know, there's lots. The best thing about Pollux is everybody comes with their meticulously prepared meals and all that other stuff. But then, then there's this person that comes and it's like an angel sent from heaven. And they walk into the potluck, and they're carrying a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. (laughs) 
And you know what I'm talking about. That bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken is always the first thing to go, isn't it? And so no shame to that person who's like, I'm not going to spend all day cooking. I'm bringing a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. So, um, but I love potlucks because you bring together all the personalities, all the attitudes, all the flavors, everything. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful. And actually, um, you know, it, it's a heart. It, we always have Thanksgiving around harvest time every year. And this today is Harvest Festival in Paso Robles. And I have a friend who makes wine. He doesn't have a big winery, but he has a big enough winery to have bottles with his name on it, which is cool. And he came over to our house and, 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 uh, and he had to come over late because he works late nights now because of the harvest. Uh, because you got to pick the grapes right at the right time. And if it's not the right, then... So it's just crazy. And his hands are just destroyed. Uh, he definitely needs a manicure. Uh, or, or I don't know if they can do anything with this part, but his nails are fine. So he he's actually comes over and he's, he's, he's tired, but he loves it. And then he pours the glass of wine and... I'll tell you what was more beautiful than the wine. The wine's great, but, the, but what was beautiful about it was the look of pride on his face of having worked so hard at shaping something. And, and, and that bottle of wine was a result of like years of work, of harvests. And, and um, I just loved the way that he, he, he shared his, the way that God has worked in his life and brought the different parts of his life together. Um, and I, it's a beautiful thing. Well, you know, um, today we're going to look at a story of someone who comes to Jesus and they have a little different kind of pride. This person is a young man. Um, I, I was a young man once, so I, I know that there's a little pride associated with that. I get it. You won't know until you get older, and then you'll realize you had it. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and then, uh, but as a young man that goes up to Jesus, Jesus is leaving town, and just as Jesus is about to leave, this man runs up to Jesus. And he kneels down before Jesus out of respect, of course, and he begs Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's a question that I've asked before. Uh, I've asked that of myself, really. Um, That's a question that many of you probably have asked. I remember in college, I had a meditation class I took because I thought it would be an easy class, honestly. Um, but the lady, she said, okay, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to ima- take breaths and I want you to imagine yourself dying. And then, and it was a beautiful thing. And I remember just that, that idea of imagining what will that be like? What will be, that be like? And that's what this man is asking. But he's, he's very concerned. He wants to make sure that he, he can, he wants to know what the check boxes are that he can check in in order to achieve eternal life, in order, in order to get into heaven. So let's find out what Jesus says to this guy um, in response. It's uh, Mark 10. So this is our Mark 10 scripture. Mark 10. Chapter 10, verse 17. Listen to the words that Jesus says. It says, As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man said to Jesus, teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. And Jesus looked at him, and I love this, isn't this beautiful? Jesus looked at him, loved him. I just, it's something I don't want to move 
passed too fast. It's so beautiful. And out of that love, he says this. You lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now when the young man heard this, he was shocked. And he went away grieving. Why? Because he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astounded and said to one another, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals, it is impossible. But for God, for God, all things are, impossible, are, are possible. Amen. Now, one of the first things that you're going to notice from this scripture is that the man comes up to Jesus, kneels down before him, lowers himself before Jesus, and he actually asks Jesus a question. How can I inherit eternal life? Now, who's the main subject of his question? Himself, right? And, and that's the, the main focus of his life. And then he says these words to Jesus. He says, good teacher, Good teacher, what must I do to be saved? Now, I think there's something all of us Christ followers can learn because Jesus hardly ever answers a question with an answer. He always answers a question, or not always, but a lot of the time he'll answer a question with a question. See, he wants to know more about the person. He knows that the people usually have the words that they need to hear. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts. Now, Jesus turns to him and he says, how can you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Notice Jesus isn't saying that he's not good. He's just saying no one is good but God alone. In a way, Jesus is actually telling the man, if I'm good, if Jesus is good, then Jesus is God. And he's also drawing an understanding about goodness because then Jesus turns to the man and he says, hey, you know what the law is, right? The law is don't commit murder. The guy's like, haven't done that. He's don't commit adultery, not married yet, uh, you know, down the list. Don't defraud, don't steal, uh, honor your father and mother. Mama's boy, all of these things, right? Checking the, checking the list, right? And then, and then he says, I've got it all together. I have got the full package, Jesus. I am ready to go. I, you know, A plus student. What's the problem with that? What's the real problem with that? See, Jesus helps him understand he doesn't have it all together. Jesus is able to take the one person who feels that he has everything all perfect in his life, and he's able to help him realize that he's just as big a hypocrite as every single other person in the world. That he's no, he's no better than anybody else, but he's also no worse than anybody else. And you need to hear that. That's really important. Most people just hear the no better than anyone else. But we also all need to hear you're no worse than anybody else. See, we're all broken. We're all destroyed, destroyed people. And we have done a lot of that destruction in our life. And then the other thing that people will notice about this scripture is that the man comes to Jesus on his knees, but actually he walks away from Jesus on his knees and his heart and his soul. 
I mean, if he, he was trying to show that he was on his knees before, right? To show that, that, that demonstration of his, of, of his lowliness. But Jesus kind of put him in his place. Don't you think when he walked away, he's, he's shocked, like sticking your finger in a light socket, kind of shocked and grieved. And he walks away and he says, oh, I have a lot, I have a lot of accumulated possessions in my life. This is going to be really, really hard. It's going to be difficult. Now, a lot of people think that this passage is about money. A lot of people would say, oh, this is a passage about money. And actually, I would say that it's not about money. It's not. I even read a book this week that, that accurately portrayed Jesus as speaking one-third of the time about money in his ministry. But I would argue, just the same, that Jesus never spoke about money. That Jesus always talked about the thing that he was, the subject was always the thing that's going on below the surface. It was always the condition of the heart. See, the real question is, do you think that you're rich? Do you think that you have it all together? How hard it is for someone to enter the kingdom of heaven if you think that you're all that, right? And then, and then this, uh, this is the other thing that's interesting. Jesus sees that this man has like built himself up in his life, built himself up in his life, right? That's his goal. And he's placed himself up on top of a pedestal. And Jesus says, now it's time for you to get down from the pedestal. It's time for you to take away the pedestal and not think that you're better than everybody else, but to get down here with everybody else and to recognize that you're the same, that you're same, and you're not good. You're just not. Now, one of the interesting things is the disciples say, oh, Jesus, why are you saying that it's so hard for a person to enter the kingdom of heaven? But then Jesus Jesus addresses them a second time, and he says, children. How interesting that he turns to the disciples who are his, you know, cohorts, who are his brothers and sisters, who are, who are his disciples, but he refers to them as children. Well, one thing that you'll notice, and when you're reading the Bible, I recommend that you don't look at just the, ver- the scripture you're looking at, but always look at the scripture before and after it, and you will learn a lot about what the passage is talking about. So in this passage, right before it, there's a scenario where Jesus is teaching in the city and people are bringing their children to Jesus. And the disciples say, no, 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 you can't bring a child because their minds aren't fully developed. They don't really understand. You're talking to them about things they don't know. And, and you really, they're, they're lower than you, Jesus. You shouldn't be interrupted by them because they're, they're kind of an inconvenience. How inappropriate, right? Because today we're having you sign up for like to serve in the children's ministry, right? Right? <laughs> Like, and, and how appropriate that we're like above them, right? Up here. And the children are down there. I mean, sacrifice. You want to give up something. Give up, give, up, uh, give up an hour every Sunday or even once a month. You can still worship. We got three services. I'm just saying. Shameless pitch right there. Shameless pitch. Those kids. Wow. So Jesus, Jesus says this to those disciples and, you know, cuts to the heart. Jesus says, it says, well, when Jesus saw these disciples keeping the kids from him, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. You know, I love children. They don't have any heirs. They don't have any, uh, well, they have a lot of heirs actually, but you know what I mean. I love my, my little kids. They're like, dad, oh, they hear about someone who's in need. Oh, they're, they're, 
there's kids that don't have toys. My kids will be, they'll gang together and they'll be like, Daddy, we had a conference in the other room, all three of us, and we decided we're giving all of our toys away. <laughs> and I'm like, that's going to cost me a lot of money, buddy. No. <laughs> no. But kids are so giving, aren't they? You know, it's interesting. We had a food drive years ago, and we'll have more in the future, but um, we had a food drive years ago, and uh, we handed out buckets and baskets to all the classrooms and everything. Do you know who gave the most food? It was my wife, not my wife. It was my wife's third grade class that she taught in King City. And all of these kids, all of them, uh, because it was an intervention class, were, um, were kids of families that most of them didn't have homes or even permits to work here. Um, and they don't have any money, but they, they could never imagine another kid going hungry because they grew up in this Latina culture that, I mean, truly, these people don't go hungry. They, in, in, that, in that community, they support one another, and they could never imagine that someone would not share with another person if they had food. So they had buckets of food, and then all of these other baskets and buckets around Paso, they came back with great offerings, but it was astounding. These kids, these kids, Danny would use her teacher's salary to buy pencils for them because they didn't have enough money for pencils. And when they did get the pencils, they would keep them so perfectly in their little desks, and they would never, I mean, they would cherish those little things in their life. But when they heard that someone was in need, they were ready to give it all up whatever they needed to. Kids just give. I had a, I had a teen come into my office uh, and we just talked and he was talking about his brokenness and um, in some way uh, he had broken the law. And it's interesting for parallel because this, this young man in this passage that we're looking at today, he's like not never broken a law, right? He's like, I'm never broken the law. And I was talking to this young man, and we were talking, and I was hearing, and I could tell that he was just, he was so repentant. His heart was like, I, I know that, I know where this leads. And I said, um, I stopped him, and I said, I, f- I feel like there's something on my heart I want to tell you. The first thing is, I want to tell you that adults are just grown children. Like, you, you, you may think that we have it all together, but we just look that way. We figured out how to mask it, but we're just all a bunch of blabbering babies walking around. He's like, really? Are you okay? And then, um, <laughs> no, I'm not. Um, and then, it's <laughs> the point. No, anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, so then also I said to him, um, you know, this breaking of the law, this, this stuff that's, that, that you're feeling broken in your heart about, it's not good. But I want to let you know your salvation doesn't depend on it. See, there's no amount of brokenness that's going to separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. There's nothing that can separate you from that. You know, Jesus Christ, at the end of this, he says, by the way, you have to know that, you know, it, he doesn't say it's impossible for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of the heaven. He says it's very hard. And then he says, like, it's like putting a camel through an eye of a needle, and you're like, that's impossible. And he's like, no, no, no. See, see, when you're talking about stuff with God, getting a camel through an eye of a needle is just hard. But when you're talking about people getting a camel through the eye of a needle, is, is impossible. You see, it's not something that we can earn our way into favor. It's not something we can earn our way into goodness. We suddenly become good. We're not good. Jesus is good. And we inherit his goodness. The thing that we inherit is that, that, that beautiful experience of heaven that is a direct result of Jesus extending his very essence, his godliness to us through grace and mercy and love. 
Now, this is interesting. Jesus says these words. Children, again, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Have you ever heard of someone say, get down off your high horse? You know that saying? I mean, come on, this is Paso. Someone had to have said that in the past 20 years. <laughs> Seen a lot of horses. <laughs> so this guy, this guy was rich. He probably had a camel, which was like the biblical era version of a Tesla, right? Got great mileage. Basically solar powered, ran on water. I mean, come on, what is this thing? <laughs> Yo, you got to check this out. Two seats? I don't know. Um, <laughs> A frunk. Um, <laughs> knows its way home. Drives itself. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Got to get me one of those. That sounds great. <laughs> so, so this... Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, stop it, stop, stop, stop. Don't, don't, because this is not good. This is, this is <laughs> like, is that, that going to be the next car that they're going to invent? Like, it runs on water. We'll call it a camel. That sounds good. I think that's good. Okay, so anyway, so basically in the, in the, we don't know if this story is true, but there's in the biblical time, or not even biblical times, it was like 50, about year 1500. So like 1500 years after Jesus, we find the first example of this. The, in Jerusalem, they have this description of this gate called the needle. And whether it's true or not, whether it was true after Jesus or before Jesus, it's still an incredible story. But the idea is that when they shut the gates of Jerusalem and people needed to come into Jerusalem at night uh, and they had been a merchant and they had gathered lots of possessions on top of their camel and they, they were probably pretty rich, they came toward Jerusalem and they couldn't get in the big gates, so they had to come through a gate like that called the needle, probably smaller than that actually, not that high. Because today, we don't know which gate this would have been, but, but the idea is it was a really short gate. And it was really hard because if you wanted to get through that gate, then you would have to get down off your high horse. You'd have to get off your camel. And then you'd have to take the possessions off of the camel. You'd have to take them all off, remove them. And then you would have to lower the camel down on its knees. And you would have to pull and cajole and get that camel in through the gate. And I think what an incredible illustration of what Jesus is saying that we need to do in our hearts. Because the real problem with this guy isn't that he was rich, it's that he thought he was rich in whatever way he thought he was rich. It was that he thought he had it all together. He thought he was better than other people. And that was the condition of the heart that Jesus was really addressing. But Jesus does say that, that nothing is impossible for God. Nothing at all is impossible for God. That through the power of the Holy Spirit, each one of us can discover how, how interesting that Jesus in one sentence is able to identify in this person who's picture perfect, that there is no perfection in this person, that actually everything was uh, hypocrisy. But what Jesus does is he says, you know what, if you want to follow me, if you want to be the kind of person who follows me, you're going to have to turn your life inside out. You're going to have to stop being the kind of person that is self-focused, that's about putting yourself on a pedestal. But your whole life, the mission of your life is going to be about serving the poor. It's going to be about letting everything go and directing all of your venture, all of your capital, all of your dreams, all of your hopes toward helping other people. It's a total inside-out transformation of a human being. 
And so that's what Jesus is, not, is saying to his disciples as well. He's saying that that inside-out transformation is a transformation that we feel is absolutely impossible. But when it happens, we are transformed. We are turned inside out. And that's through the power of God that that happens. Not through some kind of accomplishment that we can do. Now, I love the Friendsgiving thing. I love it. But most of all, I love that on Friendsgiving, we're going to have a communion as well. We'll have, if this, if this Friendsgiving works out, if everybody comes to this Friendsgiving potluck, we are going to have to have tables upstairs. We're going to have tables in the cafe or the shed or whatever you're calling it these days. We're going to have people eating in the kitchen. We're going to have all of the classrooms filled with tables and we're going to be celebrating and breaking bread and then watching football and playing board games. You know how it goes. But the conversations that will take place there are going to be so beautiful. And there's going to be moments along the way where we're going to experience this thing where we bring our favorite thing, whatever it is, obviously Kentucky Fried Chicken, and then bring it to the table and we're going to release it to the wolves, no, to the, to the community. And we're going to place it there to share, right? And then we're going to receive so much more through that, aren't we? And as we do that, we're going to experience this thing called heaven. Just these little glimmers, these glimpses of heaven through the conversations or through a friend that we would never have had before. Or when we bite into the original crispy chicken, Kentucky Fried Chicken original recipe. You see, but when we, when we, when we let go and we allow ourselves to participate in God's work in this world, we are given the opportunity to actually taste and experience heaven in our life, which is nothing less than a miracle. Would you guys stand as we pray? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for, for heaven. We thank you that you are so good um, and that you, you speak truth to us. Um, because you love us. When you look at us, you love us, Lord. Um, but we thank you so much for the gift of your mercy in our life. And we pray for, um, we pray for the poor today, the poor in spirit. Uh, we pray for those who do not, um, who don't have this feast of goodness, of the music, of the, of the laughter, of the community and fellowship that we have. So Lord, I pray that you would just um, bring, bring them what they need and use us for that, Lord. May we be a community that releases what we have, welcomes other people in, and, and recognizes that there's so much more with you and placing you first above all things. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said,